This is the best of the press box in 2020. There's been some extraordinary news and sports stories right across the globe. Here are the biggest stories we covered this year. The news came out just uh, on Tuesday morning that some really, really heavy stuff is going to be happening and rocking the TV world. And Channel 10 in Adelaide, Perth and Brisbane will be cutting their local bulletins as of September the 11th this year. Now, that's not too far away. And Jace, you are, of course, one of the uh, reporters, sports reporters and hybrid into news every now and then with Channel 10 here in Adelaide. Mate, you've, you've had a really good run with them for a few years and now, unfortunately, uh, new ownership jumping in and a few complications along the way. It's come to this and we just straight off the top mate from us at the press box and all the listeners we do feel for you at this stage yeah well thank you so much for that sam it's uh it's been a devastating couple of days obviously the news came out and was made public yesterday that they were going to be making um our local bulletin a more of a national feel um and so in that process they're going to be cutting you know rebecca morse's job kate freeband's job and, and will goodings's job so it was it was a really hard day um, and there might be a few more hard days to come. It looks like um, the cuts won't stop there. There will be probably some more redundancies to come in the future, which is just heartbreaking because there's such a, a wonderful team of people and they're so talented and they work so hard. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's awful to think that some of them in a week's time or two weeks' time won't be there anymore or will get the tap on the shoulder um, and, and looks like their dream will be crushed. And you feel for some people like the camera operators, like the operational staff that work so tirelessly behind the scenes that might not have a job, you know, um, in a couple of weeks that have been there for 20 years, 30 years. It's just been such a devastating uh, couple of days. Yeah, no, I was I was shocked when I when I read the news and I, I saw it. I thought it was I was I dumbfounded. Uh, and obviously, the first word that came to my head was fast because seriously, um, it's all it, it's it's been happening. Uh, throughout the whole media landscape, like uh, I'm not immune in in in, in uh, newspaper land, and uh, and uh, Sam, I don't think uh, you, you you're immune either. So so we're all we're all feeling it, and uh, it's been. Uh, oh, I just feel for you, Jace. The first uh, going through this time, um, I know uh, uh, I've personally been mm. through it, and l- luckily enough, uh, uh, I'm still uh, still kicking around. It's just a it's just a shocking time for 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 the industry, and especially in South Australia, because uh, you know we're all proud um, South Australians, and uh, yeah, it's just a, a real big uh, fat kick in the guts, isn't it? It is, Jace. Can I ask you, mate? How did you find out? Obviously, I know we've heard the stories from a couple of people, Will Goodings and Rebecca Morse, um, who are you know, the on-screen personalities that you know and love in the local bulletin. I want to find out how you found out. We might talk about them mm-hmm. shortly, but tell me how you did. Yeah, well, my day started pretty normally. I, um, I had to go and film... Um, a sixes presser with the new coach, Connor Henry, down at Titanium Arena. So I actually got to the station pretty early. It was about 8 30, 9 o'clock, and I went in there, quickly grabbed a few things. Um, everything was normal at that stage, had no inkling about what was going to come. Um, walked out the door, then went to Titanium, filmed the presser, you know, got a couple of grabs from the coach and, and what have you. And then I got a text message saying that there's going to be a national meeting at 12 o'clock. This was at 11. And I got it and they were asking staff to get back for it. And so that was my first indication that something wasn't 
quite right at that stage. I still didn't know the severity of it. I still didn't know what was going to happen. So I drove back thinking, I almost, the funny thing is I, well, I was thinking about it somewhat, but I, I, also, I walked into the building at Channel 10 and I had forgotten that, you know, the reason why, I, you know, I sort yeah. of just, you know, I knew there was going to be a meeting. I just didn't even piece two and two together that was going to be what I was about to walk into. But when I walked into the station, it was, oh, like, it's hard to even, just, it was devastating. It was just, there were, Straight away, you could tell that something was wrong. It, a newsroom is such a vibrant and um, a great mm. place to work, and it's one yeah. of the big draw cards to, to yeah. why I became a journalist because it, it's such a buzz about it. But when I walked in, it was just eerie. It was you know those people huddled in groups and talking. Um, there was people emotional in at that stage, and I'd walked in, and then I, I spoke to Max, who had walked straight to my desk, and and Max says, "Yeah, it's not good." And I thought, holy hell, what's going on? And then as the next 45 minutes unfolded, I, I sort of became aware that they were going to make some really, really serious cuts, um, that people were going to lose their jobs instantly and, and already lost their jobs um, and there was going to be more to come. And then we had a, a national meeting and, and they basically said, look, we're going to move um, the Adelaide product into based out of Melbourne. Now, you know, basically what's going to happen is that we're still going to have some familiarity. There's still going to be local bullets. There's still going to be local stories here, but they're going to be read out of Melbourne. So, you know, what do you say? It's just mm. it's a tough day, a really tough day. And you've you've done a fair bit of work, you know, regionally, and you've finally hit a really great job here in Adelaide. You know, you're reporting on the Crows and Power daily. You're reporting on the Sixers. You get to do all these amazing, great things that come as a perk to working in mm. Capital City News. And like you said, the newsroom, it's a buzz. It's a busy place at all times. There's, yeah. n- there's things flying across the room at all times. People are talking about all the different things they're finding out on the, you know every few minutes. It's just a fantastic vibe at all times. And then, like you said, I, you, you and I were speaking yesterday as, as it sort of all unfolded, cause, and we'll talk to this in a minute. I was going through a pretty similar situation with our work, but, you know, you you were saying there were people in tears and people just were crushed in that moment because it is such a it is a job that we love mm. so much and we're so passionate about and we count our lucky stars every day that we're in this role but to find out that you're going to be let go it just always you're never prepared for it no you're not it's it's just it's the first time I've ever been a part of you know something like this and it's it's shocking it's just this is people's dreams. People work so hard to get to this stage. They work their asses off. And I know exactly how that feels because I had to work just as hard to get to my position right now. So, And it's such a competitive market and a competitive field. And it just feels like you just had no say. You have no say, you know, sometimes about how it, how it finishes. And so you could work, you know, really hard. And, and this is people's dream. It really is, you know, mm-hmm. to get to this position they are in now you know, as a journalist, as a reporter, as a camera operator, you know, as operational staff, it's their dream to work in television. You know, it's their livelihood. It's everything they want to do. So it's just, it's, it's just heartbreaking and it's, you know, and it just sucks because the whole industry at the moment is feeling and, it, and, and is, is shrinking, you know, right before our very eyes. This isn't the first cuts we've had in um, commercial television this year. Channel 7, they've gone through a number of cuts. They've had to um, even cut today, tonight. You know, and there'll be more to come, unfortunately. Fox Sports is another one. They oh, made a heap brutal. of cuts to their sport journos and presenters. And, um, and you just feel like AAP is another one that had mm. went through cuts really recently. And um, 
and the advertiser, Dale, you know, they had cuts as well. So, you know, everyone is feeling the effects of COVID-19, the bushfires, just everything is sort of yeah. lumped in together. Like it's just, it's unbelievable this year. And, you know, 2020, who, you know, no one could predict, you know, it just keeps getting worse and everyone's, you know, it's doing its best to to, to ruin everyone's year and it's, it's <laughs> unfortunately it's coming true. Yeah, so unfortunately, no, no, no one's immune, and uh, and I know Sam, you you just went through the same sort of dealings yesterday, but obviously not uh, not on the uh, the scale of uh, of uh, Jace's news, uh, obviously. No, well, and, and we will talk to this here. I mean, Nova Entertainment, we were very lucky to get through most of the COVID space without having to enforce any cuts, which was a great thing, for, and we, and we were really proud about that for a long time. But then. Obviously, planning into 2021, um, we've had to put some strategic, you know, every every year you think about what your strategy is going to be for the for the next year, and that generally happens around this time. And um, it ended up being because of this this it's taken such a hard hit financially in in this space of time with with COVID, as has many businesses. And you know, it's not it's not going to be uncommon for most this year. It's just one of those situations where there's going to be extra cuts as well in our in our jobs, and we're not exempt. And so. Um, we're trying to claw back. I think it's nine to ten percent of our um, costs um, because you can't run a business if you're not making money. Um, so there's there was a I think a quarter drop in our revenue um, due to COVID in 2020 for us, which is which is a really hard hit, and we're going to see approximately 70 people lose their jobs um, nationally for, for from Nova and and from all the associate stations like mine double A and the worst part is um it's going to be a, a fair wait um it's going to be rolled out over 5 weeks it's sort of slowly drip fed across each department um across the nation because there are so many different parts to our um our, our stations um so <laughs> it's it's a long anxious wait for us as employees and um I'm involved in a sports show but you know that's that's all great and well for now I'm you never know where I'll be in uh, in in a few weeks' time if I'm still on it or not, and we don't know whether people will be let go in our in our level of the building or if they'll be redeployed or whatnot. But it's just such a, a scary and, and anxious time in our industry. Yeah, it's, it's the it's the waiting game, which um which is the the, the big thing for mine. I, mm. I've I've personally been through it uh, a couple of times. Uh, the waiting game, you just um, put put your head on the pillow every night and go, "Well, was that the?" You know, is tomorrow the day? Is uh, mm. you know, is it going to be the next day? It's um, it's uh, it's quite uh, well, quite me- mentally uh, challenging. Obviously, um, it's human nature that you that you lose some sort of drive to and passion for 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 what you do, which is uh, which is something I thought I'd never never um or would never happen to me, um, because you know, journalism was mine dream ever since I was what 14 yeah. so um um I, I never thought it would come to anything like this so uh the waiting game sucks uh there's no there's no way to um to sugarcoat it um it sucks and uh and just from from me out to you boys while right now while you're both waiting um just 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 good luck for me and just just push through and just um it's uh the 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 world will keep turning. Mm. Um, that's uh mm. that's uh that's the mindset you got to have. Um, uh, if a door shuts, uh, another one will 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 open right in front of you. So, uh, um, <clears throat> yeah, 
Waiting sucks, boys. It does. Um, can I and I, can I just say? And you made a mm. great, great point there, Dale. It's it's one. Of, and and Jace, you spoke to this before too. Is the yeah. fact that you work so hard to get into the position, that, and and it's a dream mm. from. I know all three of us. It would have been a dream since we were kids. At some point in yeah. our teenage years, you knew you wanted to be a journo. Like you just know yeah. you do, and you work so hard to get to where you need to go to mm. make it. And when you do, you you have this mindset of I'm going to do everything I can to yeah. perform as well as I can and to get into every little area I can to, to not possibly lose this spot. You do, you perf- and you yeah. always think you're going to get let go at some point in your career because it's a performance thing. You just haven't mm. done enough. So you're always trying to get in front. It's a competitive environment as it is, but you're always trying to get in front of everyone else around you so that you yeah. can be the best at your craft. And at no point... Do you feel like it's fair, like you said before, Jace, that you're going to get let go for anything other than performance, which is all that you're about at any part of any day in your job? No, you don't. And it's it's just sucks that, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to finances to keep, you know, the, the industry or keep the business running. And, and unfortunately, you know, they see Adelaide as, as a viable option for them to reduce the size here. To probably save a few bucks to run it out of Melbourne um, and, and you know push forward. It's just it's it's just heartbreaking though to 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 see people. You know it's hard to even talk about yeah. because you, you just you know, like the, yeah it's just it's hard it's hard to talk about because the emotion involved is you know seeing people you like. These are people you know these aren't just my colleagues. These are people that you know become friends with as well. Yeah. These are, you know yeah. and everyone's got. They're families and people have mortgages and people have, you know, there's, there's so many factors that play into this and, and to see the emotion that's come out of it and, and that will continue for a little while yet while the waiting game does go on, while they, while they still figure out, you know, roles for people and, and, and how the best way they can move forward. Well, Jace, here's a chance for you to tell us what Channel 10 will look like. Obviously, you've mentioned a few things, but tell us what Channel 10 will look like now from September the 11th onward um, because it's going to be very uh, unlocal, I suppose, from, from an Adelaide point of view. Well, I've only heard, you know, a certain amount of things. You know, there's only little bits of information that we've heard as well about what's going to happen and I can only, you know, talk on what I know and, and that's just that they're still going to have um, a local – they're still going to have local stories. It's still going to be localised here in South Australia. We're going to have reporters here, camera operators here, um, people oh, actually cool. telling local stories. It's just going to be read out of Melbourne, uh, uh, yeah, out of Melbourne um, for us. And then um, with Perth, I think it's still a bit undecided and and uh, and Brizzy as well. So um, with us, it's still local content. So we're still going to have local sports stories, which is which great. is great. So not all completely going to be put into state or made into state. So, you know, we are still going to have people here working hard and, and, you know, really telling the stories that South Australians, you know, really want to hear. So it's not all bad at the moment. There is some, you know, obviously some terrible news that, that is happening, but, you know, hopefully we can still um, press on. Well, Jace, I mean, good luck, mate. We, we're really all rallying behind you and, and the rest of your colleagues and everyone else in the media industry who's feeling it right now because there's a lot of us out there. There's, As you said, there's camos, there's makeup artists, there's uh, a lot of people who are all included in this that aren't just reporters and that are seen on screen. And I know the media can look like a glitzy job um, from the outside, but on the inside, it, it's, a, it's a really tough time and as, as it is for every business. So look, mate, best of luck from all of us and you, you're going to go a long way and you're going to stick by. I know you're going to stick in there. I know it, mate. 
Oh, at least, uh, at least the press box will keep moving forward. Unless you guys uh, are planning on doing redundancies or something like that. I don't know. Plan- <laughs> no. Planning on, planning on uh, hosting it in another state. I'm not sure. So, uh, and no best redundancies of luck to you, here. No re- luck to you, Sam, as well, because uh, you're going through a similar similar scenario. I tell you what, boys, um, might as well get stuck into uh, the big story uh, that sort of broke Sunday night and then uh, developed throughout Monday. Um, just uh, really, it's it's raised a lot of uh, questions in the world of journalism and, and all sorts of places. But, um, of course, everyone would have heard of uh, the story regarding uh, the former AFL coach and player, Dean Laidley. Very um, unfortunate circumstances for him. Um He's been uh, uh, charged uh, by police and now obviously uh, faces court next week uh, in regards to multiple uh, charges. But guys, the, 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 the side of this that we want to talk about is not so much what he has done and where he is at right now, but more so the media um, situation and how it's been dealt with publicly and the photos, I suppose, at the centre of this and how they emerged Sunday night. We were all sort of just uh, talking uh, together in our in our chat online, as we tend to do uh, in the lead-up to our shows, and something like this just sort of came out of nowhere after you heard it on the news, but then these photos come out of nowhere. I mean, Jace, maybe we'll start with you. Walking through how this all just began Sunday night is extraordinary. Yeah, you're not wrong. I think uh, the first thing I heard about it was um, there was an, a media organisation that broke the news that there'd been a former player slash coach that had been arrested and taken to Melbourne jail and had um, been uh, not refused bail. I don't think he uh, was granted bail or, or didn't didn't apply for bail. Um, and then as the, the night progressed, all of a sudden there was some talk online that, you know, it was um, Dean Laley and that uh, these photos started to merge on social media, especially on Twitter. And then when the photos emerged, I actually didn't, when I first saw the first one, I didn't think it was accurate. I didn't think it was real because it, it kind of didn't resemble him. It was, mm. it did in a way, but it was almost hard to believe in a sense that you were looking at a, a former, you know, coach of an AFL coach dressed in full drag in a, a police, um, you know, a, a station in Melbourne. And then and then as the night progressed even more, and obviously there was a lot of talk there on Twitter about it, more photos or another photo emerged of his mug shot. And then all of a sudden you realise, holy hell, this is, this is true. This is accurate. This is him in, in jail. And I think that what happened then is that, you know, um, people just jumped on top of it and then it just spread like wildfire across both, you know, Twitter and Facebook and then, you know, there was so much talk about it online last night. It was pretty much, if you were on Twitter last night, there's no way that you would have not seen it. It was just everywhere. And then all of a sudden these text messages started to appear as well. About It seemed like it was addressed to someone that knew someone who was working at the police station at that time. And they had said that, you know, such and such, Dean Laley had come in and he was, you know, he'd been caught doing such and I won't go through what it actually said, but yeah. it caught doing such and such and he was under, um, you know, investigation for a number of offences and, you know, including that could be including drugs. And so then you're like, wow. And then all of a sudden it's you wake up this morning and it's on the Herald Sun's front page and I think the West Australian also had it on their front page as well. And you feel – I felt almost sick because – 
what had happened is a police officer who has now been stood down, senior constable, had taken the photos on the sly and then sent it to a WhatsApp group full of six people. Now, there is some suggestion that there are, the six people do include other police officers, but there's potentially um, people in that group who aren't police officers, which completely breaks the whole uh, privacy violation, which they you sign up for as a, as a police force and um, their code of conduct pretty much as, you know, Victorian police. So he's been stood down pending an investigation. But then I think for um, media organisations to go and publish those photos, knowing that it's um, they were taken, you know, illegally, basically, and against someone's civil rights, is just raises a whole heap of questions about journalism ethics. Well, yeah, sort of, Jase, but uh, as uh, once anything's uh, published on social media these days, uh, it's fair game pretty much. So what, if, if it's confirmed, which it was confirmed, um, that, it, that it was uh, said person involved, and uh, then it's fair game. It's just, it's just like anything else. Like the, the police officer clearly um, who, to, who took the photo um, is clearly in the wrong, but uh, pretty much did the... The media's job uh, for us uh, in the end. So it's, it's exactly the same as if um, there was a whole heap of photographers and cameramen outside the police station as as anyone charged gets driven in the back of a um, paddy wagon. So it's um, once a photo... I, just, I totally disagree with that because that's that person... Once a photo's out, out there, it's fair game. Yeah, but you're comparing it to someone out in public, you know, a car driving off in public. This was taken behind closed doors in a police station by a police officer breaking the law, which he's going to be held accountable to now pending an investigation. You know, I think there's a, a huge difference in what you're saying is, you know, a car just driving out to public after someone's been arrested. Uh not really. Once it's once it's published in on the uh, in the public sphere, that, that that makes a big difference. If it was just a, a leaked photo that was sent to a reporter or a photographer or a cameraman or a journalist or someone like that, and it hadn't been published or out in the public sphere, that was that makes it totally different. But uh, it's well, been, it's it's yeah. been published. It's just like a, any Facebook post or rant or video or footage or footage uh, um, posted online, it's a fair game. What makes this interesting for mine is that obviously uh, this is all taking place inside a police station, so it's it's all um, secret at that stage and it's not meant to be public knowledge what's what's happening inside. But then once these photos are taken and leaked online, as you said, Dale, it's almost fair game but the the media they can't go posting these um these images and linking his name to it unless they are um confirmed that it's true now what i don't think was meant to be the case but his uh, lately's uh lawyer d uh, giannopoulos has got a twitter account and she's decided uh late sunday night once these images start to emerge to tweet outraged that these pictures of my client taken by some police officer on the sly um, when in custody and interview have hit the media. Now, the fact that she has decided to uh, basically, in that tweet, confirm that it's him gave the media the confirmation it needed to say, well, it is him, we can run them. So, really, uh, I don't think it was her, um, she didn't mean to do it, but in... in, um, in a roundabout way, she accidentally made it worse for her own client because the media then could tick it off and say, well, we have now um, the ability to use these images quite quite confidently. 
Well, that, that that's true. That's uh, exactly right. And when um, uh, if you read the Harold Sun's story this morning, most of it is about the leaked photo. It's actually not about mm. um, the Laley's arrest and and um, and charges. It's actually more about the leaked photo. And this is the leaked photo. Yeah, I still, I still think it's a, a real grey area. I think if you had to watch the news tonight, none of the stations showed the photos in fear that they would be breaking, you know, someone's privacy. That that these were really taken, taken. They were breaking someone's civil rights, and that they were taken inside a police station and then put onto social media. I just, I just think there's a real grey area in, in showing this and, and really. It's a deplorable act by the, the the police officer, but then for people to jump on it so quickly and so spread it like wildfire on Twitter, and then for media organisations to automatically print it the next morning, mm. I think raises a lot of questions about where journalism ethics is at the moment, and what is fair game and what isn't. Oh, put it this way: it wouldn't have been printed without um, um, the publications going to their lawyers. So oh, 100%, it, would, it wouldn't 100%, have been. I, I totally was, there's that. no cavalier. <laughs> approach there and uh, having been involved in in stories uh, in the past that has involved bringing the lawyers multiple times um mm. they um err, well, you have to err on the side of caution so um um yeah so it's yeah do you think it helps with this situation or it makes it work like if you read some of the comments and there's another I won't name them, but there was another organisation that kept posting over and over again today with different headlines and trying to update the story. And then people, the comments under that were vicious. They were just saying, "Stop posting!" So you just—it's all clickbait now. You know, you're only making things worse by continuing to spread the photos. Oh, if, if there's updates to the story, then there's updates to the story. They, the, this, the story gets republished, and if they're the photos to the story that's getting updated then that's that's the photos to the story so it's it's not really clickbait it's 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 a story that develops throughout the day yeah but they're talking the same about topic. That, yeah but they're talking about uh, sorry sam we're getting into the problem is they're talking about these photos being shared and how how bad they are being shared and but they're sharing the photos themselves it's almost like this vicious cycle mm. Once it's been shared, it's out there. So no, but I'm saying that their the, the headline is talking about how bad, like the, that, um, these photos are being shared online by this constable. But then they're sharing the photos. It just doesn't make sense. You have to illustrate the story, don't you? You do, but we we well well you're saying that, but we illustrated the story tonight at Channel Ten. We didn't show either of the photos, and we we did the story. It's an interesting one here because according to Australian law, there isn't actually a broad-based right to privacy, which which stunned me this morning when I heard that. Um, you know, there's limited common. So what does law that mean? If you just so, talk. So so we have we have common law protections um, across, and there's also um, things like um, police misconduct, which we can um, accuse um, this policeman for wrongdoing, which they've done, um, and things like that. But at the end of the day. Common privacy isn't actually something we have very strong laws for, and so right. it, really, at the end of the day, it's you're not doing anything wrong by yeah. actually taking a photo like that, which 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 stunned me today when I heard that. Um, so so really, a right to privacy. You would think that if you're in your own private space and a photo's been taken of you, you can't have that exposed until you give that 
the okay or the all clear. Apparently, in Australian law, it doesn't matter. It's 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 allowed to be taken and it's allowed to be used in in public consumption. And then adding on top of that, it was published on on a public forum or exactly. social media that just that makes a fair game. I'm 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 saying all this. In I'm not saying dis- I agree with it. No, I'm just I'm, saying that that's that's what that's what's happened. Well, I'm saying all these things at the same time in uh, disagreements as well with the way it's been handled. I I think it's absolutely distasteful and and disgusting that someone's actually gone about reposting these online. Dale, you've you've been defending to the haunches here already, though that the papers once it's once it's in the public forum, they're allowed to use it. Uh, and 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 I and I understand the lawyer basically gave it the all clear, but I mean you're you're an editor of a paper. What would you have done in this situation? Would you have run the pictures as well on your front page? Well, if it's in the if if it's in the public forum and it's exactly the same um, situation as what the newspaper editors went through last night, and I first of all I would have sent it straight to the lawyer. So whatever the lawyer says goes. If he says yep. throw it, or he or she says throw it in the bin and throws in the bin. If he says run a uh, full-page photo, then I'll run the full-page photo. So I, I'd back um, the, um, our um, lawyers to the tilt because clearly they know a lot better than uh, <laughs> any one of us three. But uh, um, if it was in the public forum um, just like last night, then the, you, you, you pretty much you have to run them. But then if, if say, for example, uh, so the photo got sent straight into the newsroom without going on Facebook or Twitter, then it doesn't see the light of day. No. Um, I just find it really interesting that different media companies took a different approach mm. with how they handled this story. There's some print um, coverage was – well, some newspapers printed it straight away on their front page – other news companies almost, you know, 12 hours later didn't show the photos at all. So it's just interesting that we all have gone through the same journalism programs and we all follow the same journalism laws, but we've taken two completely separate approaches when it comes to this story. Let's uh, move into the space of what happened next, and that is that these, this police officer from Victoria um, Police has been suspended. He's a senior constable, and he leaked the images, uh, and he's now been suspended with pay. He's looking now at two years of jail, potentially, um, and or $40,000 worth of fines. Um, this is the Deputy Commissioner, uh, Shane Patton from Vic Police, who's uh, made the statement today. We have let down that person. We've breached their privacy, and I do apologise on behalf of Victoria Police. The conduct should not have occurred by our officer. It has. All we can do now is take it as seriously as we can, take actions to make sure that everybody knows how we view this as being totally unacceptable. Appalling and unacceptable. Uh, strong words from uh, the, the chief. That's, uh, th- that's nearly... The bigger the, that's the bigger story now, it, don't you think? Absolutely. Than, uh, than anything yeah. what um, what what's happened in regards to the arrest, the, that is the bigger story right now. And um, yeah, that's well, to, well, to, no. to, to, to even a take the photo and then b um, send it send it out. That's gee gee. Well, that, that's when your constable's completely wrecked his career, if not his you know life by 
sending a, a photo to what he thought at the time, probably thought at the time, was a group of mates, six friends or five friends in a WhatsApp group and then all of a sudden one of them is, and I'm not I'm speaking out of turn, but one of them is likely have, to have shared it with someone else and then it's it's found its way online. So what, you know, it, obviously appalling for him to have first taken the photo, you know, in a police station. But then for it to be shared online, it's just, you know, disgraceful really. It's not one photo, it's two. Well, the, I think the most shocking photo isn't the one of him in drag. It's the actual the, the photo of um, the mugshot. I think that's more damning than the other photo. D- d- just as bad as one other, I think. How, how often do you guys, and, and we, we have to be quite cautious, obviously, plenty of things cross our desks in a day, but nothing like that. But um, some days things come across your desk and you decide you have to make a choice whether you share it or not within uh, your media circles or or and then people that you trust outside of that if you do um, you're being really trusting because it might be sensitive it might not be but the information crosses our desks in the media all the time and one thing again like how often do you guys as journalists choose to go well hey this is stuff i really need to keep to myself and and you don't mm. can't can't afford to pass things on in in case you know as much as you trust someone you might be sending it to you you just can't yeah i think the only time that i've ever felt like this was so sensitive that you couldn't share it was actually only recently really when spud frawley died and i had heard his name through journalists that we work for us and his name had come through and obviously until it's confirmed you just can't share it or you can't do anything with that information and you've got to just wait until it's actually confirmed that it's him and and this sort of reminded me of that like you you just can't go out there and share or you've got to be very careful when it comes to this to 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 sharing you know such sensitive material with other people knowing that it's so damaging to that person or their families yeah there's been a few instances i I know as a as a young cadet reporter there's a and jace can probably vouch for this too been a lot of uh car incidents where there's been deceased people where I had the opportunity to take, you know, photos, pretty gruelling photos and decided not to, you know, on the phone and that. So um, mm. you can make that make those uh, choices. Um, there was actually a car crash that's outside my house last week. Uh, um, could, could have went and filmed that was uh, pretty gruesome. Th- thank you. Uh, Thank the Lord no one was injured in that one. But um, the, 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 the one that springs to mind here, as I've told it before on the podcast, is um, the two hours before everyone knew Phil Hughes died, mm. I knew. So, wow. um, And people were coming up in those two hours asking me if he'd live, and I'd have to say, oh, I hope so, even though yeah. I yeah. didn't know, uh, even though I knew he wasn't going to. That's the, the two really um, sad stories in, in that one, and, and that's that's the sort of sensitivity that you can deal with on a daily basis, and and not to not to try and put them aside, but because they are extremely sad stories. But also in comparison to this, and I, and I think it brings it back to sort of a real world situation is you know Kevin White, and we were talking about it a, a few months ago, the fact that he could just screenshot a group chat which exposed a, his coach in Joey Wright with. You know, information he never expected to see the public, um, see the light of public. But yet, this might be the same with this police officer. He made a poor decision, and and it's come back to bite him. And at the end of the day, it just comes down to who do you trust. And sometimes mm-hmm. you have to be really, really, really careful with the information and the things that you share with people, especially in our industry, anyway. Yeah, you've just got to be super careful because what you're dealing with is people's lives and their livelihoods, really, and their careers. 
So if you're sharing something that's so sensitive that could wreck anything like that, you have to really think twice about before you click that send button. And that's what it comes down to. You know, if, you, if you're in a group chat like the one we're in, I hope, yeah. I, hope, <laughs> I, hope I, I hope I haven't overstepped the mark and you guys are going <laughs> to. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> seriously, no one is that bored even in isolation to read that. <laughs> so I, I don't know. But you, it just goes to show that, you know, if, if – you can not only send that sort of that sensitive, real sensitive information to people you absolutely trust, but if you don't trust them, then don't send it. And if you have any second doubts about it, just don't send it because it's not worth it at the end of the day. One thing, though, if we just quickly, uh, before we move on from footy, this is a new podcast that's just popped up. Um, and we had this sent in from Vardy Magic, who's uh, one of our great followers and big supporters on Twitter. Um, he sent this through uh, just on Monday. Now, Bungie and the Brettster, I'm not sure if you've heard of this, uh, but one of those names very popular, Bungie McLeod, uh, has mm-hmm. teamed up with Brett Maher for a podcast um, called, like we just said, Bungie and the Brettster. And they've they spoke, I think there's only episode six, they're only new, but it's quite entertaining what they've put on social media. But one thing which was just pointed out by Vardy Magic, and he sent us this clip, um, where Andrew McLeod had something he voiced uh, during the show, which he it, it pricked my ears anyway. Let's just have a listen. I'm one of those guys that, like, if you asked me if I felt comfortable walking back into the football club, yep. I'd say no. Like, I don't walk into the change rooms and I don't sort of walk around. I, I just feel, I don't know, it's one of those things, and I've had this conversation with a lot of my old teammates, is that it's not a place that you feel – and you see lots of guys go back to their footy clubs and they feel welcome – for me, the Crows doesn't really have that vibe. Right, okay. It doesn't have that vibe where it feels like you're really welcome there. And I've done some work there, right? Yeah. So with, with my programs and whatnot. But it's not a place that you sort of feel like it embraces you as a past yeah, player. Okay. Very, very interesting comments. No one's really picked this up yet. It's only just uh, sort of coming out in the last day or two. But guys, um, as a Crows fan... You would feel, and I know I feel a little bit uncomfortable knowing that we aren't treating one of our greats as uh, as well as we could, and and you wonder how many other past players feel like that. Um, and considering you guys follow a club like Port Adelaide, which is so big on uh, history and and making sure everyone at the club feels like family, this is a this is a real um, big issue for for one of the great stars of the of the opposition, the Adelaide Football Club. Well, if Andrew McLeod feels like that about walking back into his football club, which is well, the Hall of Famer, legend, superstar, that that's a disgrace. Mm. That, 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 that's a real disgrace. Like this man pretty much arguably single-handedly won your team two oh, premierships. Yeah. Two Norm Smith medals. It's, it's, uh, it's, two Norm Smith medals, two premierships, what, 340-odd games, Club legend, mm. and if he feels like that, probably, well, the best player the, the Crows have had. Then, how do how do all the other ex players feel? That's just that's yeah. that's that shocked me. That, that that's a disgrace. Honestly, I, I'm quite shocked by it too because you you think the person who's uh you know one of the people that who run that club is Mark Rusciuto, who's a teammate of his who played with him for many years, and it's bizarre that he doesn't feel that comfortable when. You know, one of his teammates is essentially running the club at the moment or has helped run it through its pretty dark times in the last two years. And what I can put it down to is it sounds like culture. That's, yeah. you know, why else wouldn't you celebrate your past players, or your past greats? You know, he's, like Dale said, probably the greatest ever player behind 
you know, if not arguably number one behind or in front of Mark Rusciuto. So oh, he's number it, one. McLeod's number one easily. Yeah. Even Sam would agree with me with that. Sure, yeah, he's he's one of the favourite sons, absolutely, if not the favourite son. And you know, he mentions a little bit later, like you know, Tony Modra, one of the other greats, and probably one of the favourite sons as well, who you know can wander into the place as comfortable as ever and happy to be there, and everyone loves him, and 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 mm-hmm. he feels no issues. But for Bungie, he's a, he's a different man, and he gets has a different warmth um, thrown at him, and it's not it's clearly an uncomfortable one. It's not one he doesn't he, he just doesn't feel. Like he's welcomed at all, and that for for someone who was a stalwart and is a stalwart of that club, and then can't walk in through the the, the two front doors and and have anyone walk up and say, "Mate, like big open arms here. Thanks for coming back. It's great to see you. Let's you know, let's get around you." There's none of that, and you'd think any member of any club anywhere, as local to to as professional as AFL, anyone who's played an amount of games and done the amount of things that someone like he has done. Would would have that appreciation of them. The one thing I don't understand about those comments either is that Bungie. I've seen Bungie at the club numerous times because he's also part of the AFLW girls. He's also part of their squad in training the girls, a part of that program, and he's also a big part in the Indigenous program there. So I don't understand how he's saying. Uh, you know, it's 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 bizarre that he's saying that. On one hand, he's a part of the club, essentially helping out their other programs, but he still doesn't feel essentially like he can walk in the club to to be a past player. It's there's something, yeah. I'd I'd love to get a microphone under him and ask him a few more questions about exactly how and why he feels like that, and then also ask the club, you know, are they doing anything to celebrate their past players and their past legends, and if there's something wrong there in that sort of you know in that sort of um, celebration of their past players. Yeah, well, there's a, the Crows have probably got to catch 22 at the moment because they can't really, you know, build anything at West Lakes because they're in the, well, they were in the process of trying to move, get get a new home. So, yeah, if you want want to build, a, if, even if it's like a museum or something like that, but surely, surely Bungie McLeod is is. I've, to, to be frank, I'll put my hand up. I've never stepped foot in the LA Football Club, and I ne- never intend to. Um, but uh, surely he, he's celebrated somewhere there. But you'd think when the Crows do move or get their new base that surely, surely he is in position 1A as you walk in the mm. foyer, Bungie McLeod, because he, he he is the Crows' greatest. And yeah. for a long time, but someone will have to do something extraordinarily well to, uh, to, to knock – Win a knock and a flag would be <laughs> the key to that. You'd probably have to win three flags to knock Bungie off as the greatest crow ever. So, uh, yeah, so to, to hear him say that is is – it shocked me, really. And what it does mm. is unfortunately reinforce some old questions which we thought it just to be about being put to bed, but that culture word is what's been thrown around for years and Crows fans have, are kind of sick of, but unfortunately there are just yeah. constant reasons for it to keep being put back up in the spotlight and it's just another one and it's got to do with a past player now, not not nothing to do with current players or anyone to do with the last five, six years. And you get the sense that maybe the place is a sterile environment, too corporate, too professional, not really the same warm family-like environment that a footy club you'd expect to have. Maybe that's the case. Who knows? Um, and, and we'll soon see when you know maybe the change of the guard comes in a few years' time and there are new characters again as they continually rotate through footy clubs. Maybe the Crows will see yeah. a different uh, set of figures and, and a different warmth about it. But right now, it's it's sad. And to see Andrew McLeod, one of the greats, 
feel that way, I'm sure there's going to be yeah. more questions asked of him in the in the next couple of weeks. It is sad because the footy clubs are built, like you said, around that culture. They're built around their star players, their heroes, and Andrew McLeod is their biggest hero. And mm. for him not to feel welcome to go back into that club is just this is completely sad. And it's it's not what footy clubs are about at all. Footy clubs are about celebrating that culture and that history they have. And it just feels like they're not doing that with Andrew. So yeah, I hope they can um, they can fix that problem anyway. Let's recap what has happened over the last week since we released episode 55 when we spoke about Andrew McLeod when he came up on his own podcast and said some pretty controversial words. Some astounding claims tonight from the Adelaide Crows' most decorated player, Andrew McLeod, declaring he no longer feels welcome at West Lakes. And you see lots of guys go back to their footy clubs and they feel welcome. For me, the Crows doesn't really have that vibe. The club's culture again brought into question. But it's not a place that you sort of feel like it embraces you as a past player. I'm really disappointed in him uh, for saying that publicly because there's ways of dealing with things and the ways of not dealing with things. His actions don't match the words that I've seen attributed to him. A little surprised, um, but it's one where he obviously feels that way and we have to acknowledge that. I think it's probably for him to share how he feels and why he feels the way he does. Seven News has spoken to a number of Foundation Crows who did share McLeod's view that Adelaide could be doing more to foster meaningful relationships with its trailblazers. When someone comes out and says this, particularly with the magnitude of Andrew, it just gives them a wake-up call to say, maybe we still have to continue to strive to be better. In a stunning turn of events, Crows champion Andrew McLeod has doubled down on the scathing comments he made about his former club. Again, taking aim at the Crows and specifically the club's senior leadership. Now I won't back down from my comments. It's my opinion and I stand by them. When you walk into the Adelaide Football Club, it's not a particularly warm place. He went to great lengths to explain any change must come from the top down, declaring the spin coming out of Westlakes must also stop. Change begins when you firstly acknowledge it, have those tough conversations and then action it. And in this case, it has to be top down. No more spin and trying to change the narrative like what has been happening in the past 24 hours by those jumping on their soapboxes and trying to angle it back on me as my issue. I just believe our club can be better and we should strive to be. Well, there you go. Andrew McLeod, a Crows great, calling out quite a few things, especially the front office in his second statement when he backed up and doubled down on what he said initially, uh, and which is what we reported on here on the press box and sort of spread like wildfire on social media once we sort of had our say on it uh, and hit uh, quite a few news services across the country. The second statement he made, which was last Thursday, you would be you would be fully much across it by now, but he called out the front office there to walk the walk. Uh, the change needs to come from the top down and there needs to be tangible authenticity. No more spin, as he said there, and it's not a warm club. He believes the club can be better. Dale and Jace, uh, what a week that was. How, did we, uh, how have we come out the back end of this story and who's Who's on the right and wrong sides? Well, geez, I, I said the word disgrace and it just caught on like wildfire, <laughs> it didn't did. it? Just, it's like an absolute firestorm. And then uh, the next day, uh, the, our three lovely faces and me yelling out disgrace was on the AFL website and I was getting texts <laughs> going, why is your ugly face on the AFL website? <laughs> and I'm like, well, gee, I'm just <laughs> – we're just uh, pushing out to, pushing out the, the biggest story in Adelaide uh, last week. Yeah, it was amazing the feedback. It just uh, sort of went off like a rocket, really. As soon as that you put that uh, 
I guess the tweet on Twitter about, you know, Andrew McLeod's comments, it just caught on like wildfire and I checked my phone. I was like, you down all these notifications on Twitter. I thought, what's mm. going on here? And it just was one <laughs> after the other. And I, I think I realized it was getting semi-serious when um, you had some uh, some uh, journalists, other journalists uh, tweeting about it. And then all of a sudden it went over to Melbourne during the day. And then, you know, a couple of media agencies over there caught on to it straight away. And um, geez, it blew up really quickly. And I wasn't expecting him to double down on what he said. I think um, everyone was sort of, because when you listen back to the original comments, there was no, like, uh, um, he wasn't being uh, nasty about no. his perception of how he perceived the club. He was just being honest. And so when we brought it to light, I was half expecting him just to sort of soften his view, but then to him to come out and double down on his comments and saying that, you know, there needs to be a change in that front office was kind of staggering, really. Well, he said it initially and to double down, then the for sure, 100%. You had to double down. It would have looked pretty, um, yeah, yeah would, have, would have looked a bit soft, really, if you just retracted everything 48 hours later because he, he, the initial comment was said from the heart and he means it and I fully expected uh, when, when I heard him, when I heard Bungie double down, I, yeah, it's, it's, I totally believe him. It's, it's, mm. it's, it must be a massive issue. It puts that question, as we heard during those reports, straight back onto that culture again, which has been questioned for so long, and we did speak about that last week. And it does make you wonder whether or not there really is a deep underlying issue and maybe the spin that's been coming out of Adelaide, which he does call out in that second statement, is has gone too far. Maybe the club needs to take responsibility and be a little bit more honest from this point on about issues that do arise because I and I and I did see that this week because um, we had the review last year and um, they're trying to turn a corner and I think there's been some fresh air which has been great but all the while uh, this year there's still been little spot fires hasn't there we've seen the Barossa uh, situation occur we saw the handling of the Tyson Stengel uh uh, uh, DUI which occurred um, now this has popped up and no fault of the Crows but th- again the club's been called out for, for behaviour inside the club which it's nothing to do with the on field stuff which sounds like Matty Nix is doing a great job but inside off the field there's just a lot of things that people aren't happy with and it's just yet another spotlight on the on the inner workings of the club, which must be putting a hell of a lot of pressure on those people who are under fire all the time. Especially seeing now that um, it's been highlighted for what it feels like forever mm. now, It'll at least be eighteen months with all those different incidents that you've just mentioned, Sam. But uh, if if the club's greatest player, if if there's still no sort of change. Well, you th- there was some change after the review, but if the club's greatest player comes out and says it's still happening mm. and it still keeps down this path, then it will never change, will it? No, I don't think so either. Um, it was interesting, the conversation between Rui and McLeod as well, that they mm. uh, he said that he'd spoken to Bungie, that he hoped that he'd um, come around and have a beer with uh, Rui. So hopefully they can get on the same page. It was interesting also what he said about walking into the club. It feels quite cold. 
Um, and I think Bix mentioned it during the week on Double uh, A, actually, actually, Sam, that, you know, he hopes that, you know, with the club with 30 years under its belt, it's not just about those two premiership sides. It's about a lot of the players along the way, a lot of the club officials along the way that have been a part of their journey that they probably don't celebrate enough. And so I thought he'd had an interesting take about making sure that they celebrate that whole history and not just the two flags that they've won in, you know, 97 and 98. Yeah, hundred percent, and that's uh, and look, I think some people have put a, a much bigger uh, magnifying glass on some of the words he used in the second statement, which had to do with you know the cabinets and stuff and yeah. and what's painted on the walls. And I think at the end of the day, that's a it's a little bit irrelevant compared to the overall picture which he's trying to paint here and that is that there's a lot of things culture wise at the club which he just doesn't agree with and hence why it feels that cold and um like like you said Bix has, has put it well during the week saying that they're trying to celebrate the John Cox and the Richie Douglases and yeah. the and the Scott Stevens and the Scott Thompsons who have come through and done amazing things at the club and yet don't get the same recognition as the McLeods and the Roos and the Bickleys so Definitely trying to uh, get around those people as they deserve. But all the while, I think, and I would hope that Andrew McLeod doesn't think that that's taking away from people like himself, who is still considered a great person. Um, but like, we, like we've been hearing all week from the past players committee, they're doing everything they can. And from what I'm gathering around this story over the last seven, eight, nine days that we've been talking about it, is that there are two sides to this story and that the committee, the past players committee are doing a, a fantastic job and they've always done a really diligent job. And it's always tough to get uh, great large amounts of former players together. And the more past players that are, because they, they never decrease, they always increase in past player numbers. So the more to get together at any time, it gets more and more difficult. So uh, to try and make events happen, create activities for them to to, to make uh, those people mingle again and, and to try and create and keep that culture going, it's always going to be difficult. So I don't, I would really hope that Andrew McLeod doesn't feel victimised as if he's being treated poorly years and years later and that he's, his achievements and what he's given to the club has been forgotten. It absolutely has not. I'll tell you what, another thing it's uh, shone a light on is is his own podcast. I don't know if there was yeah. that many listeners before he made the comments last <laughs> week, but I'll tell you what, there's a few listening now. There's probably a few that have subscribed. <laughs> I hope that we've uh, little uh, spiked our audience a little bit as well. We've seemed <sighs> to uh, hopefully get a few people on board. I know that Rue was uh, tweeting on our or tweeting us during the week, so that's uh, we've got one extra person at least. Do do, uh, do we get some sort of spotters fee from the Brun- Bungie and the Brester? Like, surely there's some sort of spotters fee, Sam, in the mail, some sort of invoice, you know, um, we- you know, blank check signed or something like that. I know something. we did most of the publicity for that for that grab, but at the end of the day, it wasn't even us that found it. it wasn't us three. We got it mailed to us. If we go international and talk about the United States right now, we've seen some pretty horrific scenes over there as a country. And uh, the media involved, we, we're going to put a media spin on this because that's what we really want to focus on. But obviously the riots that are happening over there, the chaos that's involved, it's uh, it's it's quite alarming. And, and right now it, it takes you back to sort of the revolution days, whether or not it might be uh, another one of them on the horizon, who knows. But talking about... The, the media coverage we've seen in the last uh, half a week or so, it's been incredible um, and, and spectacular in, in many different ways over the last few days uh, with 
journalists being arrested on live TV for just doing their job. There's been, um, we've seen footage live that we haven't seen live probably since 9-11 when it comes to just uh, shock, must-see vision at all times uh, whenever you switch on the TV. Um, We've seen a whole bunch of different scenarios and some Australians as well have been caught up in the middle of it. Some of our our own US correspondent journalists doing some incredible work. Um, Jace, I'll start with you. I mean, you um, you've been tweeting a bit about it this weekend, really. Um, so you've had a keen eye on a lot of this. Uh, yeah. it's, it's quite a, and you're the TV journalist too, out of the three of us. So you would you would feel this the most, wouldn't you? It's unreal. It's honestly, it's one of the biggest stories going. If coronavirus didn't happen, this would be the biggest story without a doubt this year. You're seeing half of America or pretty much the whole of America being torn apart by, you know, this uh, tragic incident that happened with George Floyd where that officer was on his neck for, you know, over eight minutes and, you know, it's just tragic circumstances. And then obviously this big um, incident has sparked, you know, some tensions that have been going on for a number of years. And now that you've seen them boil over onto the streets, and I tell you what, some of the journalists, their job on the ground, you have to commend them because mm. they're right in the thick of it. It just reminds you almost of a war zone. They're dodging pepper spray cans, pepper spray and the, the cans and the, um, the rubber bullets and, you know, fireworks. There's, they're right in the thick of it and making sure that they cover every single angle of the story. And, and it's the one thing that it's hard to grasp is how rapidly this is moving because they might be at one site, but all of a sudden it's kicking off. There's a massive fire only a block away. And then two minutes later, there's something else happening. You know, the next block over there, looting other stores. There seems Mm. to be two different groups as well. There seems to be the protesters and the looters, you know, and they've all got different incentives. The protesters are obviously marching for, you know, this uh, equality that they're seeking, but the looters are just criminal aspects that they're just trying to cause as much damage and invoke as much violence as they possibly can. So it's it's quite fascinating. Like you said, it's hard to, to, to not watch it or, or not be uh, enveloped into it um, when you go on Twitter and you're scrolling through and you look at the White House and they've gone into lockdown, you know, and uh, Trump's gone into a bunker and into his basement for a little while just to, uh, just to escape the heat and he's not making any presidential announcements. So it's just this fascinating story that we're, we're witnessing as well. Um, you know, the whole world's witnessing this country just being torn apart at the moment and the journalists that are reporting on it, it's just incredible what they're going through. I think there was a Channel 9 reporter who was tear gassed live on TV. Yeah. You know, he was literally crying <laughs> on TV because he just just escaped, uh, you know, this, this situation where everyone had been tear gassed and he's <laughs> crying. So it's just I, I would love to put my hand up and, and go over there really? and cover something like that because it's, yeah, because it's, it's it's you know right you know you're right in the thick of it you you're really just covering exactly what's happening behind you and those instances of you know the people looting and the people setting fires and you're just trying to duck and dodge rubber bullets and <laughs> you know not trying not to get arrested so it's it'd be unbelievable to do it, it, I'll tell you what it would be uh, he'd be keen for a nice cold beer after the end of it that's for sure so <laughs> it'd well be, be looking yeah so it's uh, it's only going to keep um, hopefully it doesn't escalate any further, but it seems like it's only going to keep going for a few more days yet. Well, I don't think you'll get an ice cold beer at the end of the day, Jace, because uh, <laughs> they've already been stolen by the looters. I reckon, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I reckon that'd be one of the first things that get looted, the beer. So uh, I think you'll luck out there. But uh, it's, you know, it's, it's horrific scenes. And it, it reminds me back of the, the Rodney King uh, bashing in the 90s, um, of, and that sparked the LA riots. Um, but that was back uh, in the day when social media didn't exist. So um, the social media has played a huge part in this with, um, you know, you can 
you can get uh, live uh, video footage from from anyone's phone, um, really, and you can watch so many different angles of you know these riots and loot, looting and f- fighting, you know, pellets, e- e- tear gas, everything. And there's all these. It seems to be a, a different um, t- TV report probably every 10 minutes, you know, you can get a different angle than, and it's just gone. It's just gone. Well, it started in Minneapolis, didn't it? And now yes. it's all over, all all over America where you know, the Rodney King stuff, you know, was sort of based in Los Angeles, but this has taken a whole new, whole new spectrum. But uh, it's, it's, it's the same, it's the same argument. Really, it's exactly the same, and uh, there's this this um, equality argument, and you know, it just and to to read some of the 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 tweets, but it, it, Nike was a Nike retweeted Adidas, yep. or Adidas yep. retweeted Adidas. Nike. That's yep. that's wow. that's uh, that's that's unheard of. So that, that's when people <laughs> should sit down and go two corporate giants agreeing with each other. Oh, hang on, this is pretty serious. Yeah, and to think that's your that's your standard bar of <laughs> like that that's a that's a weird thing to think, but that is exactly um, the seriousness of it is that everyone is trying to work together here, and yet there still seems to be a crazy division between authorities and the general public and and what the feelings are. And I, I just as we spin it back to you know the journalism journalism side of it, um, and Jace brought it up quite well before is that they are right in the thick of all this. Like they they're actually on the ground in the middle of everything happening so while we see yeah. all the the helicopter shots and every everyone on the, the thousands of people rocking the streets here the, here are those lone journalists with a one cameraman and themselves and their microphone going live to the world and you know some of them in the thick of it you know one journalist shot in the eye um with a rubber bullet she's now permanently blind i mean that that's wow. unbelievable there's another journalist who was tackled by random bypasses while she was doing a live cross i mean that's just all live television and the cnn guy that got arrested the other one was a cnn journalist his camera crew and himself were both arrested by the police while they were live on location um there's other ones as well we could probably find and and talk about but just to think that that just some mm. that's a handful that's a pinch of some of the journalism that's being done and that's what's happening uh live on television it's yeah. unbelievable scenes and and Jace, you said before you'd love to be in the thick of it. I mean, I think any journalist would find that an incredible and thrilling job to do, but Jesus, dangerous. To give you an idea how much work is going into the news packages that you're seeing on television, I'm allocated and our newsroom is allocated, each reporter is allocated 90 seconds, a minute and a half for their packages, right? And normally you might spend, well, you do spend a whole day trying to accumulate the vision, the interviews and making sure that you have a well-rounded package for the news bulletin at night. These packages that are going to air at the moment are six and a half to seven minutes long. Mm. So that gives you an idea how much they're putting into these packages. They're not only getting the shots that are on the scene in locations, they're also getting phone vision that's going on Twitter. They're also getting shots that are happening in LA in the protests in New York. I can only imagine the work that is going on behind the scenes, the production staff, the editors, there'd be so much involved in what you see this is really polished product that goes to wear, but it would be hours and hours and hours of people painstakingly making sure they get every little aspect, every little angle 
and then being able to put it in a well-written script so it flows beautifully and you, you watch it. It's almost like it, I think one of the Channel 9 and I hate to, uh, to say Channel 9 but I think one of their packages was from Tim and it might have been the first night the rights actually sparked off and the package was a seven-minute package but it was unbelievable the way they covered it He's there, and it would go transition from him on the ground to, to the phone vision to, and they would literally do it beautifully. And, and that's a credit to all the team that's working behind the scenes to put it together. Yeah, Tim Arvier is the man you're talking about. I, I want to give yes. him a shout out. Like the, some of the stuff, and, and if you haven't got him on Twitter yet, do it because he's producing some of the most brilliant packages. And, and, and there's other you know channels that are doing the same thing, but he just notably, I've noticed what he's done. Like he's in a, he's in a, he's in a shop while it's being looted while there's people taking things off shelves and running out, and he's there with a camera doing a selfie report, essentially, for, for 15, mm. 20 seconds, saying this is exactly what's happening. And to think that, okay, that's a normal journalistic thing to do. To think that he's standing there while people are looting and he's talking about them looting, they're metres away from him. Well, that's awkward, embarrassing, scary. You don't know what you're going to run into, what sort of personalities would think, hey, I don't want you getting this on camera. Like all those sort of things he has to put up with in amongst violence and, and other chaos. And he's bringing it to us like every 20 minutes, there's a new video. Every hour, there's a new video. And then all the while, he's also not just exploring the city, but he's putting together, like you said, seven, eight minute packages, which is scrapped together with script mm. and vision and, and it, like in enormous work. Like far yeah. out, like huge kudos to him and, and the rest of them over there. And it doesn't also, it doesn't mind getting shot by uh, yeah, tear gas canisters either. <laughs> uh, um, the, the other factor that people don't realise is the time frame factor because there's different time over there that it is here, the, the time zones are way out. Mm. So they're staying up. I, I can only imagine they're sleeping sometime in the morning, like like early around, because they've got to be up and making sure they're watching this all kick off during the night. So I'm guessing they're probably going to bed at 4 o'clock and yep. they're probably getting up as, when sun rises at 6 o'clock or eight, as 8 o'clock maybe, gives them a couple of hours. But they 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 would be working full-on days and sleeping maybe four or five hours max. There was a 3.30 a.m. live cross to our Adelaide News just the other day. Um, that's how late they're staying up just to do a live package. Like it's, yep. it's remarkable. Well, you really wouldn't be all that uh, um, safe to want to go to sleep, wouldn't you? You wouldn't want to shut your eyes. Yes. <laughs> you, if you got, unless you got somewhere pretty pretty rock solid and safe to to sleep, I'd probably be awake twenty four seven and just on the on the Red Bulls or the Coke or something like yeah. that. Keep, keep me awake. You just don't know what what's going to happen. Maybe just maybe just go uh, uh, surely ask some people. There should there'd be some Coke laying on the footpath somewhere <laughs> where you know where cars driven through a shop or something like that. Whatever Jace's DJ it's, it's, stay up all night mixes. We cut the coffees, mate. <laughs> but uh, I'm, inter- I'm interested, Jace, to ask who has who, who has the the journalistic like. Does the journalist say I want to do A B C, or does the um, editor go I want shot A B C, and then you read to that, or uh, how does it work? So what they so the reporter Tim Tim Avia just to name it and Eamon Ashton Atkins is is our Channel Ten reporter and he's in New York at the moment covering it too. Uh, so what they their job is to go out and just get the best stuff. You want to get the absolute best pictures. Talk to as many people as you can that are witnessing the looting, that are firsthand, you know, seeing the violence happen. So you can 
collect the best package that you possibly can put together, then what will happen is that gets sent at the same time. You're feeding this back and a lot of it's live because they're doing a lot of live crosses like you mentioned, Sam. They're doing flat-out live crosses back to Australia, you know, for the morning shows, for the mid-afternoon shows and then for the nightly news. So they're flat out. They run off their feet. And then what would be happening is that as the day progresses, some of the stuff would almost be outdated by the time it goes to air. So that becomes less significant. So you always want to start with your best pitches no matter what. So it might be a big explosion. I think one of the packages started with a truck that ran through the bridge mm. and everyone had to dive out the way. And, and that, but that happened early on in the morning. So they started with that but quickly moved on to how the day progressed. So it, there's a lot of work that people don't realise goes into it, what you actually see in the, in the news because there's so much being filmed, there's so much um, – there's so much production that's being put towards it that people don't see that they want to make sure that they condense it all and have the best package possible at the end of the day. So there's a huge amount of work that goes in behind the scenes that people aren't seeing. But the reporter's job, just to go back to your question, hmm. their job is basically just be on the ground, be where the action is and make sure you're just being safe but covering as much of the, the best stuff as you possibly can, which might be the looting or the fires or the, you know, the, the protest itself. So that's their job. So, so, so that's the only um, instruction, just get the best stuff, not like, oh, I can, uh, I've heard that, you know, that someone's stolen a car out of Mercedes-Benz, Bluton Street, go over there. It's not that sort of instruction. It's just like, there you are, off you shoot. Go get well, the best stuff. There would be we, we follow the follow the crowd, follow where the action is. You know, mm-hmm. if someone's stealing Mercedes, that might be one incident, one off incident. But but I'm assuming the the majority of the violence and the majority of the looting is happening with the, where those big crowds are anyway. Mm-hmm. So they would just be saying, "Hey, just stay with those big crowds, follow them through, and then you'll be able to you know pick and choose where you want to go from there." So uh, would you think that? And just one more on this: Would you think that yeah. you know there's direction from Australia to say? You know, you need to get yourself to a certain location for particular things. Say, if it's something to do with the White House or something, would they be flying in between states as well, or is it just purely where you're based is where you get the best stuff? Well, I think their their correspondents are normally situated in LA from memory, so they have flown out to uh, Minneapolis so to cover that and then they have uh, what I've seen a couple of stations do if they've got one stationed in LA one in Minneapolis where it all started and then one in New York so uh. they've got the three big areas covered so they've got the east and west coast and then they've got Minneapolis as well I haven't seen a live report yet from the White House and I can only assume that's the only reason why they haven't done it is because they're they've got their um, people tied up in the other states mm. so and it hasn't really kicked off until you know what we've seen overnight with the um the white house you know turning off their lights and donald mm. trump going into lockdown so it hasn't probably been a big enough situation there for them to fly out there to cover it so i'm only assuming that you might see a reporter there tomorrow to cover that aspect of it from now maybe not because you know we're in a it's pretty hard to fly at the minute we are in a pandemic you know just sort of like story b uh, just something, <laughs> yeah. just something on the side you know just a little sidebar mm. um we're in the middle of a pandemic so <laughs> Probably be hard to uh, get on a plane and fly around America. I reckon at the minute. Well, I think the I think their domestic flights are still going. I think they still they still have some capacity for their domestic flights. Surely, surely you just get in 
a big TV helicopter just flying around America. <laughs> that's surely that's, <laughs> that's the way. That's yeah. That's A grade. <laughs> what and what? What I think, like I you said, get the glove box out for that one. <laughs> what kind of gets forgotten as well in amongst all this is the fact that yeah, America is one of the harshest stricken pl- places in the world for that virus. If you think masses and masses and masses of crowds across the country in every street is going to help their cause for reducing the rate of um, spreading that virus, uh, they could be fully infested by the end of this, and it's just going to be full-blown. That wall of Donald Trump's, it's going to be built even quicker than anyone wanted because no one's going to want to go into that joint. It's going to be a giant dome over the place. And that's another factor for those reporters. They're, yeah. they're right in the middle of, you know, they're in, right in harm's way. Not only are they dodging bullets, but they're also dodging COVID-19. So you've got to feel for them a little mm. bit. They're, you know, they're really putting their, their life out there. I can only imagine the HR people at, you know, <laughs> all, all the stations there going, oh. You know, <laughs> stay over there for just, a while, mate. <laughs> just stay out of here. Just stay away. Just make they're, All they're saying is just don't get hurt or sick or anything. Just, just get the story and get out. That's what they're saying to their people. And we've assembled the team uh, for a bit of an emergency podcast, the press box coming together as the Adelaide 36ers just, uh, as we said, spiralling out of control. I didn't realise how quickly the dominoes would fall mm. after the first one did. Sam Tugwell here. Jace Kemp is in studio with me today. Welcome to you, mate. Uh, welcome to you. It's been a crazy 24 hours in terms of basketball and the 36ers world. We saw some uh, bombshells dropped on Twitter yesterday and something that's reverberated right across the NBL landscape. It's even touched a little bit overseas with um, uh, Joe Ingles commenting uh, commenting on it yeah. and then uh, Andrew Bogut commenting on it. So it's a massive news in uh, in, in basketball world. We've, uh, we've been absolutely flat out the last f- uh, couple of days, as has this man who joins us on the phone. He couldn't quite join us in studio. Our, it wouldn't be a 36 Sixers basketball oh, without podcast our, without, our, without our, man. our expert in Dale Fletcher. He's out there at home uh, doing a few things. Dale, how are you, mate? Good, mate. Uh, emergency break glass uh, session. <laughs> so, uh, very rarely my uh, phone rings uh, on, a, on a Saturday, so it uh, has had to be important. <laughs> to be. Now, let's get stuck into it. It's been a pretty uh, tiring couple of days. Well, I think that what has actually happened is it's all sort of triggered once uh, Joey Wright and the club officially parted ways. Joey then decided to do the rounds in the media, so he should have. He had every right to do that. He actually come on your show, Sam, with mm-hmm. Rowie and Bix, which you were producing at the time. He come on that show, and then he talked about probably there were some teammates in uh, or some players that really let him down over the season. The reality of it, the three imports and Harry didn't do as well as they, yeah. they could have. And yeah. and I think everybody knows that that's close to the group. And, you know, once again, that is not the club's fault at all. That's my fault. But those those four players were asked to do nothing but do the right thing. They they needed to step up the game, and they just didn't. But once again, that's, that's not anybody's fault but mine. Now, from these comments have triggered all sorts of uh, Twitter comments and and, um, and backlash, really, on Joey. What's happened from then is that Kevin White has come out the next morning and saying, you know, how he's basically slammed Joey for throwing them under the bus, the imports under the bus at Kevin White's teammates. And he's, you know, gone on a massive Twitter rant and really fingered Joey as part of the problem at the 36s and why it's led to what's happened happen. Mm. Well, we looked at basically just a few episodes ago, I think it was episode 41, where Dale said there'd be a chance of a mass exodus of players uh, and there'd be only two remaining on the current list. And that he named Jack McVeigh and Alex Madronia as the two ta- two players mm-hmm. that may stick around at the Sixers. And 
just looking at the backlash that has occurred once uh, Joey basically was given the sack on the Wednesday, uh, Grant Kelly came on to the Five to Play Sports Show as well, uh, made his comments known. This was what he said as well, basically really talking up the guy. Yep. I actually respect Joey's decision, just like I respected all of it. He's a very astute guy, a very good guy. You know, Joey's been a servant to the club for an extraordinary period of time, for seven years. A lot of success in that period. And, and so he wanted to show respect to the coach. And, you know, I really just want to come on, on the show tonight for our fans to hear it from me directly that we, you know, we salute Joey. We, we will miss him, um, but we're positive and encouraged about our future. But it was crazy. He yeah. said that he, he, he loved him and he was a great guy. And as you would, that's good PR. That's good media spin. But it, it, the reality sort of hits. It doesn't seem like everyone at the club really did love Joey as much as he could have because once, as we just played before, he came on the show on Thursday, named those four players, yeah. and the players were disgruntled and they wanted to back in their guys. It went to Twitter, and that's where it got messy. Well, basically, uh, Kevin White, the co-captain, has come out and said he couldn't shut his mouth any longer. He, he couldn't he couldn't hold back any longer after what Joey had said in the media, done the rounds in the media. Actually, Eric Griffin come out overnight and said the same thing, that yeah. um, he was really disappointed that he was named as among those four players when Joey himself said he had his back, and then he's gone to the media and thrown him under the bus. But I think the most, the, the most damning thing that Kevin White posted yesterday, there was probably two things, and one of them was... He mentioned that there was an assault amongst one of the players uh, in 2018. I think this was since followed up by uh, Reese Homfrey from The Advertiser, Correct. and he said that there, nothing could be proven, that the club launched an investigation at the time, but they couldn't prove that Joey had actually, in fact, insulted a player. But the, probably the most damning thing that Kevin White posted yesterday was a screenshot of a conversation between, it was Joey Wright and, and uh, Murph, who's the high-performance manager at the club, and then I believe another coach was also, an assistant coach was also in that group. And, and what it said was basically, that Murph was pointing out that the wellness scores of the players, which they have, uh, it's like a, a test almost. They yeah. sit down and they they talk about, or they tick off what they like and don't like, and it comes to a score at the end about how you're fitting in or how you're going at the club. And it comes to uh, lots of twos. And well, uh, Murph says in the message that we might want to check on Griff, Harry, Dee, which is um, Daniel Dillon. We might want to check on Daniel Dillon and Jerome Randall. And then Joey Wright's response is, uh, excuse my French, fuck all of them. Hopefully it gets low enough for them to hang themselves fucking dicks. Yeah. And that's... It's appalling. It's appalling. It really is. And Joey's since come out and, and, and apologised for the way that he's responded in that message. At the same time, I don't necessarily agree with something that's private to be posted on a social platform. But then again, you can't excuse the language that Joey has mentioned in in, the, in those text messages. Rather insensitive. Dale, what were your takeaways from that uh, Twitter fury? Uh, well, uh, gobsmacked, uh, for starters. Um, I was actually at, at the bus stop yesterday reading that and nearly missed my bus because I was looking down <laughs> the screen all the time. Um, my first takeaway is two, two wrongs don't make a right. Yep. So, A, uh, the, the, the comments are definitely wrong. And be publishing <laughs> publishing him uh, is totally wrong too. So I've always been brought up to say two wrongs don't make a right. You know, you can tell um, people uh, privately, and you know, wh- word would get around uh, eventually what happened. Uh, but I don't think uh, you, Sam, and you, Jason, me mm-hmm. uh, having to publish it to to um, to tell everyone isn't really the right. Uh, 
the right vehicle for for, for this uh, or this messaging uh, to get out. Well, word word would have got out without. Um, it being on the front page of the newspaper. It only got messier too when we saw just a little bit later, a few hours after Kevin White had tweeted those things, Alex Madronia, who'd come out and actually, he's the development player at the Sixers, come out and try and defend the playing group. And he's in essence saying, you've tarred the entire playing group with this same brush. It's not fair. And you should probably, uh, you know, retract what you're saying, Kev. And then Kev's fired back again and said, well, mate, you were part of it too. You were there chanting once Body Nodge dropped that first article about Joey leaving the club. You were the one dancing and singing, saying, let's sign Bevo, Rob Beveridge, from the, the formerly Illawarra Hawks coach. So uh, it's just a, it's become the messiest situation mm. I've seen in quite some time. And I understand on Friday um, that the Adelaide 36ers dispersed their social media policy again yep. with the players to reaffirm what they are meant to do and what they are not meant to do on in, on social media platforms. Clearly, no one gives a to- toss. Yeah. <laughs> they, they're all going out now, and now there's even more players as of last night, mm. including uh, Jerome Randall, uh, Ramon Moore's done his own pace, Eric Griffin on Twitter went nuts, um, and also sat down with Olga Nulich. Um, they're all saying what they want to say now and just opening up. The thing, the thing that I get from that is uh, the people that are opening up are probably not 36ers contracted players as we we speak. That's not quite right because Kevin White is still under contract. He's still got a year to run and he's the co-captain of the club and he started this whole um, this whole scenario on Twitter. So yeah the the Kevin White contract situation is a little bit interesting. It's Mm. probably a two it's a two year deal. I'm I'm led to believe that it's a team option for the second year so if you can join a bit of, bit of the dots there, maybe he's come out after potentially uh, a team option may or may not have been picked up. But uh, that, that that that's just hearsay. But uh, I don't think you could. Uh, I don't think Kevin White could walk back into Thirty Sixers training anytime soon after after even though he was he was backing up uh, the, the playing group. Mm. Uh, the the tweet from Majonia pretty much says that uh, he wasn't uh, backing up the whole team, so uh, I don't know how a, a co-captain can uh, can walk back into training after after this uh, shamozzle, mm-hmm. as, as I called it yesterday. So I've um, since spoken to Joey Wright, and I got on the phone to him after all this uh, blew up yesterday. It's really reverberated right around the media landscape here in mm. South, like it's blown up. Yep. I got on the phone to him, and I said, Joey, uh, w- obviously you know what's happening at the moment. He says, yeah, I'm well aware of all the comments and the, and the media um, speculation on Twitter and what's happened with Kevin White. And I said, can we talk? And he says, look, I'm going to... I'm speaking to my lawyers at the moment. We're going through everything at the moment. Um, I'm going to put out a release later on that day. So, And he ended up doing that. Um, it's interesting that he said he's speaking to his lawyers because if mm. I'm led to believe that he's looking at a defamation case now against Kevin White, right. um, which is probably the, the only path he can take. Mm. You know, whether or not whether or not he continues that path after he went on SEN yesterday and talked about, you know, he admitted that he put, posted those comments he didn't talk about the assault that happened, which you know the advertiser has since followed up anyway. But he did release a statement later on uh, yesterday afternoon, and he said, "I sincerely apologise for the private comments have offended anyone, and they have uh, definitely been taken out of context. Um, those statements should not, uh, are not, and should not be used in everyday conversation. 
and he says, at no time did I ever ask a player to do anything that was unfair or out of bounds for a professional player. That's a great comment to make. It's just a shame that in in all that's happening, he he still backs himself in, and look, mm. and, and he has to, he has to, because he needs to defend himself, and there's no other way the lawyers would allow him to speak. But it just feels like um, everything comes back to Joey anyway mm. in, in this situation, where everyone in the playing circles, the club circles, saying, look, yeah, he was a great guy publicly, but at the end of the day, no one really backed in what he was doing and the things he and the way he was behaving around the team. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting we've never really heard something from Joey along the lines of, hey, look, I may have let the team down in ways. He hasn't, like, apolo- he hasn't really yeah. apologised. Yeah. I wouldn't expect him to say sorry, yeah. but I wouldn't ex- I'm wouldn't. i expecting a little bit more empathy in that I have coached this team for seven years. The last two years haven't been good enough. He has said at times... You know, uh, the player's not playing well enough, he's on me, but it doesn't really sound as genuine as it could be. I wish he would come out and just say, I've let this team down and it's only best mm. for me to go. The club and I have mutually parted ways, as they've publicly said, yep. but it's never really felt that way, has it? No, it really hasn't. And the whole thing, Dale, especially this, and what I got out of Sam's show when he was in here for his last interview, mm. was that really this was all sparked when Mitch Creek was held to ransom about going over to the States to play over in the NBA. And the, the club wanted money for Mitch Creek for that transfer. They held him up and um, and that's really sparked off or kicked off the tension between him and um, and the owner. Yeah, pretty much. Um, because when uh, Grant Kelly came in around the, the grand final, the last grand final year, took over the team to, to, just as uh, the Sixers were going into that grand final against uh, uh, my boys, Melbourne United, and the, oh, the right boys won, by the way. Um, uh, <laughs> so, uh, so it all spoiled pretty much from then. So uh, f- first mistake, Grant Kelly made for mine is mm. he signed Joey Wright to a five-year deal yeah. after making a grand final, and then the second mistake was holding Mitch Creek to ransom because Mitch Creek would be an Adelaide thirty-sixer right now. Mm. If you, if hindsight's a beautiful thing, you know, let him Absolutely. go and explore his NBA dream. You know, he played for Brooklyn, played for Minnesota, but he's back in the NBL now. So uh, you, you, that's a risk you have to take when you have that much that. That sort of a talent um, signed to, to your book. So uh, l- l- let them let them go. Let them explore. The, the NBL isn't isn't the best league in the world. So it's a development league. It, it, everything's a development league uh, for the NBA. So if if you're smart enough and good enough to sign talent like Mitch Creek, you you keep him 101 times out of 100. And if 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 that talent makes the NBA, then that that, that that looks good for your team, and that attracts more recruits to your team. But after what happened with the whole Mitch Creek saga, uh, I don't think recruits are looking at the 36ers as a good place for their career, just purely because of the whole Mitch, Mitch Creek situation. Thanks for listening to The Press Box. We'll be back for Season 3 in January 2021.